Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast presented by the Top Football Club channel and the Football Tonight Podcast. We are recording this on Sunday, October 29th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Arsenal and Liverpool have it easy. Spurs stay on top of the league and we wave goodbye to an Everton legend. But first, it's all about the Manchester Derby. City winning 3-0 at Old Trafford. Before we get into that, please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. Top Football Club on YouTube. Football Tonight podcast on the YouTube channel and Spotify. Hit the notification bell. Do it all. Do everything you can to be a part of the growing Football Tonight podcast. Because if you don't do it, who will and who will be able to hear from us first? It's an amazing time. So get involved. Please get involved. Okay, we will start with the Manchester Derby. What an incredible juxtaposition between two clubs. I know that on the Football Tonight show with Chris, I've been sort of staring into the camera multiple times saying, Manchester United are the worst run club in football. And this game showed it more than any other game. The club is completely broken. Manchester United do not function as a top-level club. We know that people keep talking about, why do you keep talking about the owners? Everything's happening on the field. Because it all trickles down. It all trickles down. We can do a side-by-side table comparison between Manchester United and Manchester City. Let's do it. Let's start at the top. Who is the owner? The owner of Manchester City is Sheikh Mansour, a hands-off, super wealthy, sovereign wealth fund who isn't around. On the other side, we have the Glazers, who just take money out of the club, don't really care. Neither of them really care, but one takes money out of the club, one puts money into the club. The next level down is who runs the business side. At Manchester City, it's Mohamed Al-Khaldun a businessman who runs multiple streams of business for Sheikh Mansour and the Qatari and the UAE. On the other side, it's Arnold. It's some guy. I don't know who it is. Murtaugh. We don't know what they're doing. The next level down, who's the director of the club? Ferran Soriano. Where did he work? He worked at Barcelona at their best periods and wanted to build a Barcelona club network that didn't work. He tried to get an MLS club for them. And what did he do? He wanted to make a Barcelona football club. What are they doing at City? They're making a City football club with clubs all around. Who's there? Who's the business leader on United side? I don't know. Darren Fletcher? On the football side, who's the director of football? Chiki Gaberistan. He worked at Barcelona under Cruyff, teammate of Pep, and they have been in place with Ferran Soriano since 2011. Who's the director of football at Manchester United? I don't know. They seem to have had one, maybe. But who knows? And who's the coach at the club? Pep Guardiola, the most successful manager 
in 20 years who was targeted by Chiqui and Ferran Torres from their time at Barcelona since 2011. They only hired Pellegrini as a stopgap. They had the plan in place for four years before Pep even showed up. Who's the coach at Manchester United? Ten Hag. He's the sixth manager since Sir Alex Ferguson said, back your manager and David Moyes, handpicked the successor. He's the sixth manager since they lurched back and forth from Ranić to Ole to, to Mourinho to Van Gaal to Moyes. You get what I'm seeing here. The whole thing has been broken the whole time at United. The stadium's falling apart. The academy's not producing players. And nothing is working. And it's showing up on the field. Everything is showing up on the field. They cannot be separated one from the other. They cannot be separated one from the other. We can get into the game. First half was... United was okay, I thought. I thought, you know, they they didn't have control of the ball. They didn't really do too much, but they did have chances. McTominay had a chance that Ederson saved. That was a really good save. Rashford took one down on his chest. That was a really good chance. And there were a couple of breaks where the ball turned over where they did come in as a group of four really pushing on to City, where you had Fernandez, Hoyland, um, and Rashford all going at the back line at the same time. Hoyland had a good chance that was snuffed out. Now, those were their only breaks, but I think that's to be expected where United are, that those were the types of chances they had. But they did have chances. On the City side, this was all about control. City looked to completely control this game. When you see Foden playing on the wing, you know the game is about control. You had Rodri and Stones in the middle controlling everything. Everything was about pace. Everything was about control. And nothing really should go away from that. That's how City have played this year. A very patient and controlled version of City with the four super backline that they've been doing of late. So... um City played with Stones, with Diaz, Noah Kanji, who was out, uh, with Guardiol and, um, and Kyle Walker across the back, with Stones, with Stones in the midfield with Rodri most of the time. So it was Guardiol, Stones, Diaz, and Walker, but Stones was really in the midfield the whole time, and Bernardo Silva and Rodri uh, with the, as the two holders. It was a 4-3-2-1. Uh, not, not really normal for City. Uh, with Grealish, Foden, and Alvarez behind Holland. And they controlled the game. Uh, Silva, first five, ten minutes, like I said, were a little bit cagey, but then Silva started really controlling the game. Amrabat played in the holding role for United with Delo, Maguire, Evans, and Lindelof across the back. Erickson and Amrabat, the holding midfielders, with Fernandez, McTominay, and Rashford in there as well. But McTominay really was dropping in deeper. Uh, it didn't really work. I thought Amrabat was actually quite good in this game and were and and United were holding on really until um there was a a penalty I hated frankly on 26 um on a cross play on a on a set piece Rodri got pulled back by Hoyland they looked at it 
VAR looked at it for at least a minute before they called the ref over. So the goal, the game was going, and then they called it over. He looks at it, and it's a penalty that should never be given. Frankly, I didn't like that it was given. It's the same call that it's the same play that would happen in every game. I don't like VAR. I said it. I was at the Bluefoot here in San Diego, and I said it out loud. I don't want to win a game like this. I don't want this penalty. I got yelled at by somebody like, what do you care? Because this sort of play sets a narrative in place that City didn't deserve this or that United were hard done. And I didn't want that. United were not hard done. They were terrible and deserved to lose this game. But they can now hold on to the narrative that perhaps, maybe, if that goal hadn't gone in, the game would have been different. Okay. I don't think that's true. I think that City would have won this game easily any game of the week, twice on Sunday, three times on Wednesday, and whatever. But after that, the second half um, made it... Ten Hag made a change that I did not like. Uh, Taking off Amrabat, who I thought was active. Uh, Is he perfect? No, but he did do things that I thought were okay. And when he came off and he put on Mason Mount... The second half was terrible for United. They disappeared in this game, especially after the second goal, which was after an amazing move where City are just passing it around, doing what they like. It ended with um, Holland unmarked at the back post, getting his goal, and then going through. So once City were up to, this game was over. I mean, really, really over. Now, another good player in this match, I thought that Really, Onana had a very, very good game, and he did make seven saves or more, and it could have been much worse. Um, Onana was good. Holland had a couple of a couple of saves at point blank range. One early one at like six minutes, where it almost got bundled in. Another one uh, where there was another header on the back post that was tricky. Um, United City were so good in this game. United really just hung on to be frank, and it was really, like I said, indicative, a real show of where these two teams are. I know we talk about it all the time. I say it all the time, but I think last season really gave United fans and United some sort of sense that Ten Hag had control of this club, especially when he pushed out Ronaldo, especially when Casemiro came in. But after that, even though they were sort of struggling through results, they really hung on because of defense, didn't really give up goals. De Gea made lots and lots of saves, sort of similar to today in that another day, maybe City don't get the finishes or whatever. But the gulf in class between these two clubs is everywhere, top to bottom, on the field, on the bench, in the backroom staff, on the board, at the owner level. All of it goes through. All of it. There is not a thing that United do that is world-class that City don't do better. City have rebuilt the entire east side of Manchester. City are about to build an arena that's connected to the stadium. City have built a woman's team that United had tried to build now. And they did have a good season last year, but they were forced to build that team because of what City did. Everything about City has been class. Even from the celebrations of Sir Bobby Charlton dying, 
it was City's players and legends from Manchester that were on the field with um, what was left of the United heroes of, of Munich in the early uh, 60s that are teammates of Bobby Charlton. It was Summerby that went and signed things. It was everything from top to bottom. It was City that saw the problems with Sancho and let him go when he was 17 and let him go to Dortmund and knew that he wouldn't work at a top-level club while United didn't see that. They only saw the surface. Everything about these two clubs really shows the difference. From the red to the blue, from the east side to the west side of Manchester, everything about these thing, two clubs is the opposite. One club is stable. One club is well-run. One club improves players. One club has its targets in place, sets a price. If it wants them, it gets them. It knows what it's going to do, and it moves on with that player. And if that player doesn't play well, they take the time, they pull him off, they see what he's going to do. Whereas with United, you have Ten Hag basically recruiting players that he worked with before. You don't see Pep, you don't see City signed players that Pep has had before. Never. You maybe you see an opponent that Pep says, "Ooh, that guy's interesting," but Pep is not saying, "I I coached this player at Bayern Munich, so he should now be a Manchester United player." That literally never happens. Whereas with United, if Ten Hag has seen a player and worked with him in the Eredivisie, he comes to the club. The goals were always the young, who's now still at Barca. Then we had Anthony, who we had. And we had Onana, who we had. Do we know if those players are at the level? Is there a scouting system in place? Lissandra Martinez, a player that Ten Hag had. What club does this? Maybe one player. But when your club is run by your coach, you can't change your coach. Because the players become linked to the coach. And if it doesn't work, you end up with the dead weight of that coach. And that is what's happening at Man United over and over and over again. We have the players of seven different coaches on this team. And the mistakes of each one live on and on and on. We still have Martial, who came through with Ten Hag, never moved on. We have Harry Maguire, who came through with Ole, never moved on. McTominay, still with the club, given his first shot by Ole. Never moved on, even though uh, Ten Hag didn't want him. And Maguire is now the best player on the club, the best defender on the club, even though the coach didn't want him. So you have this hot, this patchwork of of ghosts players and dead wood sitting on the team that they can't move on, or they have to play them, or they have to use them. And so you have this opposite club, two mirror images, the yin and yang of what successful football looks like. And United are not that. So that was my take on the old Manchester Derby. But let's go through the rest of the scores and stop on some of the other games. Okay, I'm going to put myself the fake minute on the clock and get to it. We had first on Friday night, Friday night, Crystal Palace 1, Tottenham 2. The and revolution continues Joel Ward own goal on a wicked cross by Madison. And then Sun Hyung Min scoring on 66. Jordan Ayu getting a late goal uh, to make this game more in line. But this was not a good performance by Spurs. They had a hard time. They controlled the ball a lot. But 
not really much to write home about. A lot of control, a lot of control. But uh, Spurs just couldn't really get it going, but do get the win. Then Chelsea, sorry, yes, this is Saturday. Then Chelsea nil, Brentford two. Like I said on our Thursday show that I popped in with Chris, Chelsea are inconsistent. I can see them losing this game if it was an okay performance, but it wasn't an okay performance. Brentford came, did what they do, took another win at Stamford Bridge from Chelsea. They've won three in a row at Stamford Bridge. Then, Arsenal 5, Sheffield United nil. Paul Heckenbottom is going to get fired eventually. He can't give up fives and eights and fours to clubs. Arsenal did what they're supposed to do. Eddie and Ketia with the hat trick. The, the last goal, a laser beam. Really, really good performance. Arsenal kick on. Then my beloved Burnley lose to Bournemouth. Iriola off the schneid, gets his win. Uh, bad goals. The, the Charlie Taylor goal for Brentford for Burnley was incredible. Semino on 22 bundles at home. Then Philip Billing catches Trafford off the line on a half, almost halfway goal, and they win 2-1. Good for um, Burnley. They were done. They were hard done by VAR. I don't want to talk about it. They had an offside goal called off. Whatever. Then the best game of Saturday was Wolves 2, Newcastle 2. What a fantastic game. If you missed this one, you missed a winner. First, Newcastle went up on 22. Callum Wilson bundling at home after two nice touches. Then Mario Lamina on an amazing fireball header gets it in. Callum Wilson then levels it on 45 on a penalty. Um, I don't remember this penalty. It was something weird. I'm sure all penalties are weird. Is this the one? Oh, this is the one where this was never a penalty. Should have never been a penalty. I remember this one now. Wang, uh, Wang kicks Cher from behind when he's trying to play off in the back. That should have never been a penalty. Then Huang Chan. Huang He Chan. I can never, I'll never say he's right now. He does lead the Wolves in goals uh, on 71. Levels this game. This was the best game. A lot of fight. A lot of tackles. A lot of getting stuck in. The sad news for Wolves, though, is Neto was in on goal late. He's on the way. He's got options. He's about to cut in, and instead of shooting, his hamstring went, and he went down off on a stretcher. Neto out for Wolves. I don't know how they recover from that. He was really leading this team, but I believe in Gary O'Neill. You heard it here first with Bournemouth. You heard it here all the time. Gary O'Neill for England. He is a great manager. Now, we had all the games were on Sunday because everyone played in Europe, so they moved everything to Sunday. West Ham playing in Europe. Lose 1-0 to Everton. Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets it done. Brighton beat Ajax playing on Sunday. Draw 1-1 with Fulham at home. Not a great result, but my boy Ferguson does get a goal. Uh, lucky there. And then Jao Palinha, who should have been sent off. He threw an elbow at Pasquale Gross in the face. And they didn't catch it. Paulinha levels it on 65. Then we go to the great and powerful Aston Villa, who smashed Luton Town 3-1. McGinn bossing this game. What a player McGinn is. He is underrated. Diaby, Lockyer on an own goal. Emi Martinez on an own goal on a back-headed pass by Konza. A little bit of trouble. Luton Town do get a goal. They're sort of playing okay. But Unai Emery's boys do carry on. Then... Nottingham Forest do lose, like I said, to Liverpool. This was an easy, easy game. Jota, Nunez, Salah. You love when your front line scores. But Slobozai was the man of the match here. He was setting things up all over the place. The last goal for Salah. What a mess. 
for uh, my guy, Mr. Turner. He just was wandering away, and Slobozai, from deep in his own half, finds Salah, confuses Turner, and that is that. And then, of course, we have United City, with City dominating the game. Now, I want to go back to Everton and talk about their chairman, Mr. Bill Kenwright. He passes away this year, uh, yesterday. Uh, he was the chairman of Everton since 1999. Uh, he's a, a, play, a guy who puts on plays, an impresario, a character within the football club, and the type of person that every club needs, a person who loves the club. He breathed Everton. He loved Everton. Everything about him was connected to the club, and he passes away, leaving a legacy of being a really good owner, a really good conduit of the players to the club and through that, that through line that United doesn't have, that you'd really love to see someone like Bill Crenwright on the board uh, connecting the club to the people. Um, but he, the end goes badly. It's a love affair that ends badly, as Robbie Musto put it on the uh, NBC show in the U.S. Just you know, once they sold to Mishuri, they spent money, they thought it would work. Then they had conflict within the boardroom and Bill Kenwright kind of lost lost his way connecting to the fans and understanding and being that voice of the fans within their boardroom. And so that disconnect with the club does happen. It does happen. It does happen. Anyway, so Let's go to some of the individual games a little bit more. I did give it into scores, but I want to go a little bit more in depth on each one of the games. Starting with Spurs. Spurs are really in a great position right now. If we look at the table, they're getting their wins. They're ticking things over. Spurs, after 10 games, stand on 26 points. That's 2.6 points per game. That's a lot. No team in Premier League history has finished outside of the top four who has had this many points at this much time. In fact, it's almost nailed on that Tottenham will probably finish in the top four unless something happens, unless something wild happens, unless something crazy happens. They're still undefeated along with Arsenal, and they are playing really really well. I think that's going to become the big question of the season is, can Spurs sustain this? They do have a scent, is the right word, of Leicester City about them, where they don't have Europe. They have some up-and-coming players. They have a coach we haven't seen in a while. It's a little bit innovative. Uh, Postacoglu is very charming the way that Ranieri was, that little, hey, dilly dong, dilly ding, give me the pizza. Um, so there's a little bit of similarity there, but this is Spurs. Uh, their underlying numbers still aren't great. I wouldn't say that they are the top team in the division based on nerd. <laughs> uh, they're definitely not uh, the top team in the division based on nerd. Uh, based on nerd, the top team in the division is um, is Manchester City, but they are still, based on the nerd stats, in the top six, which I think is probably accurate. They're probably a top six side based on how much they give up and how much they uh, score. What's really saving them right now is Vicario in goal saves them at least a goal every game out of 10 games. He's almost plus 10. 
in terms of what you'd expect them to give up and what they've given up, eh, more like plus three, which is fine. And then they're plus four on goals, but they've always been a plus on goals. And that's due to Hinmin Sun being one of the great finishers you'll ever see. He simply always outperforms his XG. So that is not unusual. And they do have the points in the bag. They are getting bets on core back. They just got a Brendan Johnson back. He assisted on the goal. The second goal for Spurs was fantastic. A move down the wing, interchange with Madison, onto Johnson, who flicks it into Sun, who finishes it. An incredible, a fantastic sweeping move that it's unfair for poor Palace to be unable to do that, but a great goal. But, you know, with Spurs, they've got the points. They've got everything they need. The numbers are the numbers. It's just... a how we predict them going forward. They're going to need to improve on their defense. I think they have been getting lucky, to be fair. And Vicario has been, I believe that's his name. I don't want to get it wrong. Is it Guglielmo Vicario? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, he has been carrying them and preventing goals, plus, you know, luck. So, yes, Guglielmo Vicario. He's been fantastic. And then Vic, Mickey Van de Ven, of course, we talk about, and Romero have a great partnership. So that's working for them. So they're preventing stuff. And then the other piece is Sun on the other side. They still got to keep things going. I feel like if they get a Madison injury, they're in trouble. There's no depth on this team. Madison is making this team run. He's free. He's flicking and tricking. He doesn't have to track back. The defenders, Basuma and Saar, are doing all the defensive work for him to let him be free and do his thing. So I like where Spurs are. They're probably nailed on for top three. I think with Liverpool, Arsenal, and City, they're the four best teams by far, not a doubt, along with uh, Newcastle. But Newcastle have the problem of creativity. They are a good team using, very similar to old Liverpool, where they use they use turnovers as a means of unlocking defenses. But if they don't turn you over and you sit deep against Liverpool – Against Newcastle, they have a hard time creating goals. They do not have a player like Madison. They don't have a number 10. They don't have someone who can break things down. They're doing things with power, trickery, and turnovers. So different spokes for different folks trying to solve the problem in the Premier League of scoring goals. Okay? So that's um, Spurs on their win that I wanted to talk about. The other one I wanted to chat about was... Just where Chelsea are right now, um, it was another game of frustration, another game of created chances, another game where they just could not get it done. Uh, the two goals flatters Brentford. Um, the last goal was, you know, uh, Sanchez coming up and they just hit on the break and whatever. They still need a finisher. They still can't score goals. This team just doesn't have anyone who instinctually wants to get on the end of things. There was a really great indicative moment of that. A deep across, a, across, across the box. Sorry, a flicked header from Thiago late in the game on a cross that normally breeds trouble in that it's flicked across to the back post. And nobody made the run to the back post. Not Sterling, not Maduka, Madueke, not Palmer, because they're not natural goal scorers 
who want to get on the end of things. They brought in David Fernandez. I would have liked to have seen Broya. I think Broya is really the only natural goal scorer on the team, a real striker, a big man, a, a proper number nine who will get in there and, and do the things you need him to do. But like I said on the call on, on the last episode of the show, they seem to peter out. They seem to have inconsistency. And that's just what you'd expect from a team like this. They simply don't have the extra juice needed to get these games done. And then another thing that I don't think they have is they don't have that anyone who hates losing. I don't think you need to love winning. I think the best players actually hate losing. <laughs> uh, I think Thiago Silva hates losing a lot. Uh, I think Raheem Sterling likes winning, but there's no one who really seems to hate losing. I still feel like Connor Gallagher is probably should not be your best player. I loved what Palmer did. I'm still think that the best versions of Chelsea are going to have Palmer in them. So Palmer played great in this number 10 role. Uh, they're still super young. I mean, Thiago Silva's 39. Aside from his 39, Raheem Sterling at 28. And then everyone is under 23 or under 25. Axel Diazzi is actually 25. You forget how young this team is and how inconsistent it can be uh, when you have that many young players. This is another game of juxtaposition where you have a new group with a coach with a new system, new ownership, everything new and shiny and they're trying to work their way in. And then on the other side of it, you have Brentford who are from top to bottom. And I know I talk about the same clubs over and over again. This is a unified group. You've got Thomas Frank connected to the ownership, to a director of football, to a style of play, to groups of players who have been playing with each other since they were in the championship. This is a well-drilled group. Even bringing back Mope after he got released from uh, Everton or he's on loan from Everton, he comes into the team knowing how to play. He's a former Brentford player. They have a cohesion. They play as a unit. They know what they're going to do. They know where the ball's going to go. When the ball gets turned over, Wisa and Mombuomo take off. The ball goes deep into the corner. They run the channels and they try and fight you for those second balls. This doesn't change whether they have Tony, whether they have Mbuomo, whether they have Wisa, whether they have Shad, whether they have Mope. They play the same way no matter what. They know they have Norgard in the middle to fight and win balls. They know that they have the fullbacks will defend. They know they have Pinnock. They know when they're on set pieces, they've worked on them and worked on them and worked on them because they were one of the first teams to have a set piece coach. This is a team that will beat you on the break and get their goals on set pieces. Do not F with Brentford. Now, can they lose games? Sure. All happens all the time. They had a tough time adapting to, to all these games. But they still are a positive goal difference, plus four, which is the same as Brighton, which is better than Man United, which is better than West Ham, which is better than Chelsea. They're a plus four, which is massive for a club like Brentford, and they sit in 10th. So two teams, we have United and City yings and yangs of each other, one going up, one going down. And we have stability and instability in Brentford and Chelsea. Brentford and Chelsea. I still believe in the Chelsea project. It's like I said, I think in the second half of the season, Chelsea will come good, but they're going to have these ups and downs uh, with a young team 
where they try and figure out what to do. But they should be beating Ch- Brentford or at least putting more hurt on them. Uh, in this game, the first half, the first 20 minutes, they were great. They had so many chances. And then they just kind of, as periods of the game waned, they got worse and worse and worse and worse. Matueke hit the bar. Nicholas Jackson had a shot. Uh, Cucurella had an amazing shot that was saved. I mean, probably the best, most valuable shot of the game. And then Pinnock on 58 on a headed goal where Diasi just loses him with three seconds before Tiago had seen him from the back of his mind and said, pick him up. But he pulled in together and made a mistake. And Pinnock was there to, with the header. And that was that. Uh, no team needs a finisher more than Chelsea. I mean, it's actually been the story of Chelsea for years. They haven't had a striker for years, years and years and years. Uh, but now they're at least more creative. No Enzo, which probably hurt them a little bit as well. Other games, other games. Let's talk a little bit more about Arsenal. Just to give Eddie and Ketya his due, scores a hat trick, really liked where he was coming from. Um, Gabriel Jesus is a good player, is better than Eddie and Ketya is not a good finisher. <laughs> I've been telling you since he came to Chelsea to uh Arsenal that he's a worker, he's a team player, he's all these things but he's not clinical and Eddie Nketiah is more of a traditional striker. He does more finishing and Arsenal were dominant in this game and Sheffield United are just going to go down. It's really really bad. They're not looking good. Uh, They didn't really even create anything. They didn't really do anything. This is going to forever go down as the Eddie and Ketia game. We did have a sighting, which was crazy, of Rian Brewster, who did nothing. Uh, If you remember, Rian Brewster, famously of the Liverpool Academy, famously bought uh, from, uh, uh, had a great season on loan with Swansea. Then he was bought by Sheffield and did nothing nothing for three years. Now, has he been hurt? I don't even know the story of him, but I it was one of these narratives that used to drive me nuts <laughs> with Rian Brewster in that he, um, it was when City couldn't sell anyone and Liverpool was just getting money for guys who stank. <laughs> um, Rhea was not a problem, launched some balls, did well there, so he was fine. But I do think that, you know, Sheffield United are going to go down. They only had two shots on target. This two shots, period. None on Tart. I don't know when they're going to fire him. I don't know who's in line to take the Sheffield United job. Maybe it's Chris Wilder. I don't know, but it's looking bad for them. Let us go um, to, we talked Arsenal, we talked Spurs, United and City all together. Liverpool, uh, easy. This is all I can say about this one. Um, Liverpool still probably won't feel like title contenders until they play a few more big games, I think. You know, how, how do they do against City when City are at their best? Um, they're getting clean sheets. They're getting better. The midfield project is working. So Slobozai is becoming a, a matinee, matinee idol. Um, you know, McAllister and Gravenberch all in there. The Konate Van Dyke. So things are stabilizing. Um, they're not nothing's hurting. You know, you still have Allison. So I think Liverpool are there. They're there or thereabouts. But I'd ask Liverpool fans, do you feel like this feels? <laughs> do you feel like this feels like a title team? I 
don't think it does yet, but they could win the title. There's no reason why they couldn't win the title. Of course. I mean, it's there. It's always an option. It's Liverpool after all, right? Like they're not bad. They're just not there. I don't think we trust it yet. We don't trust it yet. Now, could they win the Europa League? Absolutely. <laughs> like this is not a non this is a Champions League knockout round team that is in the Europa League. So they would win a group easy, especially with Anfield. So I think that Liverpool are still a working progress, still getting there. I don't feel like they're bad. I don't think, you know, there's anything wrong with them or whatever. Um, their, their underlying numbers are really good. They've had some big wins. Uh, the question is, how do they handle being under pressure? Um, do they have those defensive lapses? Uh, of the top group, you know, only Aston Villa have given up more goals. Uh, our City are the best defense in the division um, with, with Arsenal. So it's very close. They've given up nine, uh, but I don't think they're quite there yet. Quite there yet. In the XG standings, they are the third best team based on underlying numbers, not not the fourth best team based on underlying numbers. That's not a perfect predictor. Newcastle are number one, for instance, but that's based on the back of an eight-goal game, and so it's a little bit misleading uh, for them. Um, but Liverpool are right there. They're overperforming their defense, which is normal because they have Allison. Um, and right in line with their goals. City are overperforming their goal scoring, right in line with their defense. Arsenal are way overperforming their goal scoring and right in line with the defense. So the plus minus goal difference is a little bit, you know, underlyingy. Uh, tends to be if your team is winning all the time and you're a sort of sit back defensive team, your XG won't be good. If you're an offensive team who's always behind and has to come back, you will tend to have a higher XG. Just and then big games will create an outlier. Now, over the course of a season, we'll see the real the real value of your team come through, but that's just where we are right now. Another team that we really've got to actually take very very seriously is the great and powerful Aston Villa. Unai Emery has this team 2 points off the top 4. Uh, I always think they're going to get nailed on the break because they play the high line. But the Premier League right now is at a level that, you know, we've not seen before. We have a real top four that is very strong. The division has never had three teams that have had 24 points or more at this point in the season. So we have City, Arsenal, and Tottenham on 24 with Liverpool and Aston Villa on 23 and 22, respectively. A little bit ways back from them is Newcastle on 17. So we have this very strong top five here. Uh, Aston Villa are scoring goals for fun. Now, they haven't played anyone lately. Uh, they put four past West Ham. Um, they did draw with Wolves. They put six on Brighton. So they have a big result. I think they're big wins against Chelsea. Palace, yeah, they haven't really played. They did they lost to Liverpool? Uh, they've beaten Burnley, so not too crazy. And they have their big loss against Newcastle to start the season. But otherwise, you know, 
and they still have some they still have Nottingham Forest next. Their next big game is on uh, Thanksgiving against Spurs away. That'll be a test for them to see where Villa are. Uh, but they've had a pretty easy schedule, but it starts to get tough. They'll have Villa, we'll have Spurs, City, and Arsenal back-to-back with Bournemouth mixed in there. So it's going to start to get tough, and we're going to find out what Villa are actually made of. So that's where they are. And then, you know, can they finish in a top four? That's really a question for me. But if I believe in Spurs, and I believe in Arsenal, and we know what City and Liverpool are, there's just not room for them. So the top four in terms of talent, in terms of coaching, in terms of where they are, the surprise is Spurs. But those points are in the bank. The top three are the top three. There's really only one spot for Aston Villa, Newcastle uh, to fight for and Spurs to fight for. The division is just so, so good right now. Uh, my my top four prediction for Brighton, I think, is out the window. I just don't think they can get there. I don't think Chelsea can get there anymore. Uh, you know, But where we finish, how this league plays out, it's so compelling now. There's so many good teams. There's so many good players. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I won't reserve. I won't change my um, view here. Uh, but let's let's sort of go through the table here. After ten games, we've gone through them all. Ten weeks, a quarter of the season done. Spurs top of the league, undefeated on 26, followed by Arsenal on 24. Also undefeated. The difference between them is just a draw. The, the North London Derby, essentially. Then City, who have the two losses because Rodri was out on 24 as well. City, Arsenal ahead of them on goal difference after the five-goal win. Actually, they're level entirely. I don't know what separates them right now. Maybe wins. Anyway, doesn't matter. Then Liverpool on 23. And Villa on 22 in fifth. Newcastle, Brighton, and Man United make up six, seven, and eight. That's a strong group. Not really anything to separate them. Brighton and, and Newcastle are level on 17. United, West Ham, and Brentford, eight, nine, and 10 on 14, four, uh, 15, 14, and 13, respectively. Then we have four teams tied at 12. So the 11, 12, 13, 14 on 12 points. Chelsea, Wolves, Palace, Fulham. Fulham are the worst of the group on minus seven. They've had some real tough losses, and Chelsea are a plus two. So their quality is there, but they're just not getting results. You'd expect them to have a couple more wins. Then on 10, Forest and Everton make up 15 and 16. Bournemouth on six. This is the group that's going down. Bournemouth, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United. This group of four, three of them are going down. So Bournemouth on six, Luton on five, Burnley on four, Sheffield United on one without a win. Um, I think it's a tough, tough road to hoe. Uh, I'm concerned for Burnley, even though I believe very strongly in Vincent Company, but I think <sighs> out of these four, Burnley, Luton Town, Sheffield United, and Bournemouth, the strongest team out of this group I think as a unit is Bournemouth because they have a striker because they have Philip Billing because they have Neto but they don't have Gary O'Neill anymore 
And then the most cohesive and style-based for the ready for the fight is Luton. So I think it's between Luton and Bournemouth who will stay up. As much as my heart wants Burnley, it doesn't look like they're going to fire Vincent Company. It looks like he's faffing about. They're just giving up goals like crazy. Um, so I worry for Burnley unless something changes. I like Luton. I'm a romantic. Let's go for Luton to stay. So Bournemouth, Burnley, and Sheffield United will go down. That's my take right now. I think Everton and Nottingham Forest are in good shape right now. Uh, like I said, Steve Cooper is a great coach. Dyche is a good coach, and they're too good to go down. Now, there is something looming over Everton, an 11-point potential deduction. I don't think that'll happen. Maybe they'll get a three-point deduction, which would send them back down into the relegation fight. But Everton look good right now. Okay. To sum it up, City are great, United are terrible, and they have swapped places in the world hierarchy of football and the Premier League. And that is what's happened. Manchester Derby, City, victorious. Manchester City is blue. And we will say goodbye for now. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the exclusive Premier League wing of the Top Football Club YouTube channel and presented exclusively by the Football Tonight podcast. We record on Sunday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking on Apple, please rate and review the show because it means everything. And we will be on the Football Tonight show tomorrow with Chris. Okay. Bye.